Welcome to Global Outpouring. I'm Philip Buss. And this is Sharon Buss. We're in a very special time in between Passover and Pentecost. This Passover was more like the first Passover in Egypt than any that we've experienced in our lifetimes. Everyone's been hunkered down in their homes, waiting for the plague to pass over. And now, what can we expect from Pentecost? What kind of a Pentecost is this going to be? Let's look deeper at what Pentecost is really all about. In the Word of God, we understand that God chose a people to be able to pour into them and through them into the earth His promises, His covenants, and his dreams, really. God has dreams, you know. He has thought about all of us before we were ever born. He wrote a book about each and every one of us that gives us the maximum opportunities to be, in reality, sons of God that are mature, doing business for daddy in the earth. And every single person that has ever been on the planet has had an opportunity to fulfill these dreams that God has written in their books. And each of us are going to be judged in the end by what we did and said and thought, and we'll be judged comparing to what God wrote for us as his best plan for our lives. And all of us have failed. Isn't it true? Yes, it's true. (laughs) (laughs) All of us have fallen short of these glorious things that God promised, that God wrote for us, that God dreamed for us. But he made provision for us to be redeemed. He made provision for us to be set free from every power of darkness that has been arrayed against us to keep us from coming in to the perfect will of God and fulfill those things that God sent us to do. I really think that... Probably any generation, this is just my ponderings, okay, but I really think that any generation could have come into the fullness if we had all at once gotten with the thing that God wrote for us. Yes. But no generation up to this point has done that. But the generation that we can see in the scripture that came the closest to that would have been the people who lived through the book of Acts. Yes. So I want to give a little bit of background as to why the scriptures underlying this are important, because really equipping for this global outpouring has to do with coming into deeper understanding, getting revelation of what God really means in his word, what, you know, his word is true. And we all know that in our heads, but, you know, the disciples were having trouble because of their unbelief. Jesus kept fussing at them that they weren't getting it. He was demonstrating things. He was saying things, and they just weren't getting it. It's their unbelief. And that's the word, unbelief. Unbelief. Our problem is not that we don't have enough faith. Jesus said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, well, the mustard seed that he was talking about is way smaller than what we think of as mustard seed that you can buy in the grocery store. This mustard seed is tiny. It's a it's kind of like maybe a fourth of the size of a head of a pin or maybe smaller than that. 
If you're if you're from a place where you have ticks, it's like the size of a seed tick. <laughs> <laughs> we have ticks here, but it, it's tiny. It's tiny. But Jesus said, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, that kind of a small seed, that you will be able to move a mountain. And our problem then is not that we don't have enough faith. And and in Romans, it talks about how every man has been given the measure of faith. So our problem really is unbelief. And so the more revelation we have, the more we can get this from our spirit into our soul. Our spirit is born again when we receive what Jesus paid for. But then we have to work with getting our soul saved, getting our soul brought up into the truth of the Word of God. So we have to get revelation from our spirit into our soul so that our body will get into line and we will become really whole. And that's all about this equipping process. Yes. I believe it's in the scripture. We read in Matthew, it's, you know, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You know, it's everything pertaining to the kingdom. You know, it's even as it says earlier, the sparrows, talks about the sparrows, the lilies, the lilies of the field. But the the kingdom, seeking the kingdom of God, and people are... Many in a quandary, what is the kingdom of God on earth? Because there's many scriptures talking about the kingdom. The kingdom of God is within you. And there's there's many, it's like a diamond. There's many, the kingdom of God has many facets to it. And, and it's just trying to decipher how that relates to each and every one of us. Right. And in, in his kingdom, you know, what does that mean personally to me? And that is, I think, one of the biggest struggles today is, yeah, you know, what is the kingdom of God doing? We've had everything church as usual, everything before all this, the big virus came. You know, and all of a sudden now everything has changed. Right. Everything has changed. You're you're seeing services. You're watching the the, the speaker online, and they have a, maybe the worship team online with no audience. They're watching online at home. It reminds me a bit. Uh, of the persecuted church, you know, in the in the communist uh, nations, you know, they had to meet, and like in China, had to meet underground, you know, and they couldn't clap and all these things. They didn't have instruments; they had to be quiet. But the kingdom of God was alive and well in them, and still is, and it still is, and it's it's moving. But it starts with the heart, right? You know, and the desire and the pursuing of God. And that, I believe, is where many have fallen short or gone cold is because they're not pursuing God. And God pursues us, too. And he makes things happen to get us back on track again. And and many times we don't understand why did this happen? Why did it have to happen this way? But it's part of his building his kingdom right. in us. And And it's really about building his kingdom in us individually so that we will corporately be built. Every one of us is like a brick in the kingdom, you know, a brick in the building. And it's like your chain is only as strong as your weakest link. Yes. Uh And it's the same way with the building of the kingdom of God. Every one of us has a need to be plugged into the life of Christ, the life of the Lord. 
the life that he led and the death that he died so that we could be set free from the penalty of death and not only the penalty of death, but the strength and the power of sin in our lives so that we can overcome. It's really all about becoming an overcomer. Yes. And so I just want to look for a few minutes today at the idea of what are the feasts of the Lord and because we're right in between two feasts. Uh, this is this is our timing that we are on on God's calendar. And let me preface this by saying that Israel is God's time clock. And if you want to understand what God is doing, you have to put it within the context of what is he doing in Israel and what is he doing with regard to his chosen people. So he chose this people group because of his friendship with Abraham. But there were three times in the year that God called for all of the menfolk to come to the place where he had his tabernacle or his temple set up. So at first it was in Shiloh, and then he chose Jerusalem under David. And so everyone was to make a pilgrimage during each one of these feasts. Now, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about each of the feasts, But let me just say this, that each and every one of them, of of these three, Passover, Shavuot, we know as Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles, or Sukkot, these three all have specific details about them, but as a part of them, it has to do with harvest. And so that's something that's really on everybody's radar, I think, right now is, you know, the prophets are all saying that we're on the verge of the greatest harvest. And yes. that's that's why we're doing what we're doing, this global outpouring. Global outpouring, yes. Yeah. We are into praying it in and speaking it in and declaring it in and equipping for it and engaging in it. And so, you know, that Jesus fulfilled the Feast of Passover. It was to be a lamb. You remember the original Passover was in Egypt when nine plagues had already decimated Egypt and just destroyed their economy, absolutely destroyed it, yeah. much worse than the, what has yeah. gone on here. But all of the people that were the children of Israel and the people who were listening to yeah. what Moses said, there were some of the Egyptians and other slaves from other nations that were saying, hey, this guy's hearing from God, we better do what he says. Their God is for real and these gods of Egypt are, are obviously failing. So Jesus fulfilled that position of the Passover lamb. When he showed up at the Jordan River, John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was the sacrifice that was to take away the sins of the world. And so John recognized him by the Spirit, spoke it out, prophesied it out. And then Jesus actually was killed on the day of Passover on the day of preparation when the rest of Israel was bringing their sacrifice, their their lamb, to the Temple Mount to be killed so that they could go and have their Passover meal. And when he was put into the tomb during the day of the, of the preparation, okay, so the next day was the Feast of Passover day. It was also the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which goes on for seven days. And The scripture in Leviticus 23 talks about all these feasts. In verse 10, he says to Moses, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give unto you and shall reap the harvest thereof, 
Then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priest, and he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted for you. On the morrow, in other words, the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. Okay, so the day of Passover itself is a holiday, a holy day. That's where the word holiday comes from. It's a holy day. And it is a day that is considered a Sabbath. So if Jesus, I'm, I'm just, I might blow some of your theology here, but if Jesus, if the, if the day of the preparation fell on Thursday and Jesus was put into the tomb on Thursday, Friday would have been the Passover day. And then what we call Saturday would have been the Sabbath that you celebrate every week. So that would have been Thursday, Friday, Saturday, three full days. Well, the, you, you count any part of the day as a day. So Thursday the day, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night. Then early in the morning on Sunday was when he was resurrected. And that was this day of the first fruits. And so um, I remember a couple of years ago, we were in Israel and I had been told that the grasses in Israel are descendants of what was there, you know, all those centuries and centuries ago, millennia ago. And you can find wild barley among the grasses. And so we were there at the time of Passover and leading up to Passover, and I was watching the grass. Because, you know, from time to time, Israel has to add an extra month to their calendar in order to stay concurrent with the seasons because they're on a lunar calendar and a lunar calendar only has like 28 days in between new moons. And so they kind of lose time. In ancient days, they would watch for the barley to ripen. If the barley wasn't ripening enough by the end of the month of Adar, that they would be able to have first fruits by the Sabbath after the 14th of Aviv, which they now call Nisan, then they would add another month because the weather had been too cold for it to have ripened. So I was watching to see, is this coming? And sure enough, I could see these stalks of grain that looked just like barley. And they are barley, but they're wild barley now. And so as as we came to this day of first fruits, I went out into the neighborhood and I gathered up here was a ripe one and there's a ripe one and here's a ripe one and there's a ripe one that had become, you know, it turned brown. It, it isn't green anymore. It has ripened. It is ripe grain. And we gathered up a little sheaf of these things and we waved it before the Lord. So Jesus fulfilled this feast of first fruits. And I said all of that to say that first fruits, the, the understanding of first fruits, it's the first ripe grain. It's the first thing that comes ripe. And technically, it's probably your best grain. And you take it to the Lord. You give it to him. And you give it to the priest to wave. And the priest would wave it back and forth from side to side and up and down. And you know, think about that, what shape that creates. It creates the shape of the cross. You know, God has his pictures and everything. So Jesus fulfilled this first fruits feast, but that was the first fruits of the barley harvest. And then 
you're instructed to count seven Sabbaths from that Sabbath. That'll give you 49 days. And then the next day after that is the Feast of Shavuot, because you're counting weeks. You're counting, and Shavuot means weeks. So it's also called the Day of Pentecost because Penta means 50. So on the Day of Pentecost, we had another fulfillment. But before we get to that, I want to talk about what Jesus instituted in the Holy Communion. When he gave the Holy Communion, he said, this is my body which is given for you or broken for you, depending on which way you read it and which place you read it. Earlier, he said, I am the bread of life. He was born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem. What does that mean? It's house of bread. Exactly. So he was, he was the lamb of God born in the house of bread. And he gave his life for us. And he said, this cup, when he gave the, the cup, he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. And, you know, as a child, I remember hearing that. I grew up in church. I grew up hearing the same thing once a month. We would have Holy Communion in our church. And I heard the same words. And, you know, you hear it often enough and you can recite it yourself. But I, I understood New Testament to be this book of this, this group of books in the Bible that starts with Matthew and ends with Revelation. I didn't understand that it meant covenant. This is the new covenant. So what, what is the new covenant? Well, it's spelled out in Jeremiah chapter 31. And starting with verse 31, it says, Behold, the days come, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of Egypt. See, when, when Jesus said new covenant, I think they all understood this. And, and the feast of Passover is all about coming out of Egypt. So he goes on, I'm skipping a little, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord, that I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, know Jehovah, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. So the thing that Jesus did on the cross was to remove our iniquity and blot out our sin and make the way for us to know him personally. Amen. So Jesus walked with his disciples for 40 days. And then he ascended into heaven. And then he told them to stick around in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. Well, he told them to stick around in Jerusalem because it was time for them to be in Jerusalem in 10 days anyway, to be there for the next feast. Yes. Which was now the feast of the ingathering of barley. It's the fulfillment of the whole harvest. It's a, it's a major harvest. But it's also the feast of the first fruits of the wheat harvest. So as the barley harvest finishes, the wheat harvest begins. And so they're, they're bringing, they're bringing a, a loaf to wave uh, that they've made out of the barley. And they're also bringing a sheaf of first fruits of wheat. So Pentecost is also a feast of first fruits. Now, Jesus told them, stick around and pray. 
And so they did. And, and they went into an upper room to do this praying. So the children of Israel were recognizing that this was the same time that the Torah was given. It was the, the time that they gathered together to remember what happened on Mount Sinai. And on Mount Sinai, which takes place in the book of Exodus, when God is making covenant with his people and giving them the law, God spoke to them and they all heard him give the Ten Commandments. And then Moses went up into the mountain to get it written in stone. And there was fire and there was smoke and there was an earthquake. It was a huge, big deal. And it was scary. It was scary for the people. But when the day of Pentecost came in the book of Acts, they were together in one place in one accord. Well, you know, that the day begins with night, even as it started out in the book of Genesis. The evening and the morning were the first day. The evening and the morning were the second day. And so you have this beginning of the festival in the evening. And today they, they celebrate it by praying together and reading scripture together all night long. They stay up all night. And then the first thing that they do in the morning, if you're in Jerusalem, they go to the closest thing that they have to the temple. They gather at the Western Wall, the Kotel, and they pray there. So in their day, the disciples would have gone early in the morning to the temple. They were probably on the temple steps or somewhere in the temple grounds when this thing happened where it says when the day of Pentecost was fully come, that means when the sun was coming up. They were in one place in one accord. They were probably at the temple. And suddenly a sound came from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. In Jewish thinking, when you talk about the house, you're talking about the temple. And it, it filled the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. Remember, they're thinking, as they're going to the temple, they're thinking about Mount Sinai and the giving of the word and how it came down in fire. And so here comes this fire, and it lands on each of them. And what I can picture is that it went down through their heads and began writing on their hearts. You know, there's the scripture talks about it's, it's no longer that we're going to have the word of God written on tables of stone, but it's going to be in the fleshy tablets of our hearts. And so they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then there's all these people from all over, these Jews that, that lived in other nations, had made this pilgrimage to Jerusalem, because the scripture says, go to Jerusalem, go to the place where my temple is to celebrate these feasts. So they had all come from all these different nations. So they grew up speaking other other languages. And you can imagine the impact when they saw fire on someone's head. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would say that that probably attracted attention. I mean, we've seen that. Many have seen that in the spirit on somebody when, when the move of God is, but I've never seen that in the natural. Yeah, yeah. But, it was amazing. And so just like the finger of God, and if our God is a consuming fire, then his finger must be fire. The finger of God wrote in the stone. And so these tongues of fire came down to write it in their hearts 
and to put it on their tongues to be able to speak prophetically. And that's why Peter stood up and said, um, this is that that was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens will I pour out in those days of my spirit and they shall prophesy. So this is the tongue that's being filled with the fire of God. Uh, John the Baptist prophesied that Jesus was going to baptize us in, in the Holy Spirit and in fire. And this is what happened on the day of Pentecost. But the picture that I just got recently is that what happened on the day of Pentecost and what happened in the book of Acts was a first fruits of the harvest that is now going to come in in its fullness. And we're going to see the most amazing things happening in the days to come as the Holy Spirit is poured out in fullness yes. and on all flesh, not just here, in all the nations. It, yeah. it, you know, the, Jesus said that the gospel will be preached in all nations. And it's getting close to that point already that that the, the Bible has been translated into almost all the languages. It's not quite complete yet, but most of the languages. And there's there's believers in almost every tribe and tongue. There's still unreached people groups, and we're going to pray for those. Yes, amen. Yeah, and then with today's technology, too, it's easier to reach people than anything we've ever had before. Exactly. As long as they can tune into a satellite, they can get they can get the gospel. Or if they have internet. Yeah, uh, they have internet, yes. I just heard today that back in the 80s, Bob Jones prophesied that this amazing billion-soul harvest of young people was going to come in in a time when ordinary Chinese laborers in the rice fields were going to be able to listen 24-7 to the gospel on unplugged TVs on their wrists. Wow. That's astounding. <laughs> so he was seeing into our time now. Yes. Uh, you know, the ordinary, every, every Chinese citizen has a cell phone, at least. And I, probably a lot of them have these, these uh, smartwatches and so on. So we are in a time that we have been waiting for. And I just want you to see how God is equipping you by increasing your revelation, by increasing things that you need to understand to show that you have a place in this harvest field. You have a place. It's going to be all hands on deck and God needs you. So let's pray for that mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that global outpouring. Let's just pray right now. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we ask you to give us your heart to pray into this glorious global outpouring that you will show forth your mighty signs and wonders, that you will transform lives and that you will write your word in every heart and that everyone will know you. Everyone has the opportunity to know you on this planet. They can all, they can choose to say no. But Lord, we ask in the name of Jesus Christ that you will so push back the lies of the enemy that people will be able to see the truth and hear the truth and have truth resonate in them so that they can make a, a choice without being influenced by darkness. 
In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Yes, thank you, Father. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your review helps the show reach more people and spread the good news of God's global outpouring. Check out our website at globaloutpouring.org to find out more information, connect with us, get a link to our Facebook page and our YouTube channel. You can browse our online bookstore for amazing anointed material. Until next time, this is Sharon Buss. And I'm Philip Buss. God bless you with his overwhelming, loving presence. Thank you.